thought on my mind that it is the parents' responsibility to pass the gospel message on to their children and that it just become a cycle because Paul had talked about a relay race that everybody runs and everybody wins if you finish the race. But uh, the Spirit evidently wasn't pleased with that, so I'm going to have to pursue that subject a little further. Fifth verse. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Malachi, the fourth chapter, fifth and sixth verse. And when I was impressed by the Holy Spirit to read that. I was certainly impressed with the last portion of the last verse. Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And evidently what he was saying that it, it is dependent upon this ministry. Now I'm going to say personally, I don't believe Elijah is going to come back. That's my personal belief. I believe it's going to be a ministry that comes in the power and the spirit of Elijah with the same challenge and the same anointing. So actually what it's trying to say, unless this ministry is able to turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, the earth is going to be smitten with a curse. You may be seated, and thank you for standing. Now that, to me, doesn't refer at all to the last great day, great and dreadful day. This is have to be before that. And the curse doesn't refer to that at all. To me, the curse refers to something that is in its infancy right now, that is covering the earth right now, that has been so seductive and so secretive that it has crept in and got his foothold unnoticed, seemingly, by the majority of the world. Now, when I talk tonight, please don't take it that I am referring necessarily to us as a small unit in the Bird's Eye District or the Bird's Eye Pentecostal Church. If we need this, then let's take it, but it's an overall world church problem. And certainly, unless we are informed and kept, keep informed, about what is happening in the world, there's very little we can do about it. Now, it has been so in times past that it's easy for church people, Pentecostals included, to hide their head in the sand when something begins to take place in the world and brazenly and bravely declare that we're filled with the Holy Ghost and are immune to those things, and that very well could be. But while that is happening, the world is being influenced. And we are supposed to be here to stem the evil tide and flood tide of this evil that is coming and its influence. Whether we can do much about it, we all say, well, we're small or I'm just one, what can we do about it? Well, we can make ourselves heard. I was certainly challenged by the fact that I picked up some records that Every time I find something in the paper that I think might be useful, I'll just cut it out and throw it in, in a box someplace where 
I know it's there. I don't have a good file system. I just know it's in there, so I start digging around and usually come up with it. But if it's pertinent, or I think it will be pertinent to a message later on, then I put it in there. But I was challenged with the fact that this said, and this was 1982. Uh, now, the statistics is greater now, but it simply said one million couples in 1982 would divorce during that year. And then uh, the, uh, the sociologists estimate that by the 21st century, better than 50% of those that get married will get a divorce. That's by the end of 1985. Uh, we've pretty come pretty close to that. Pretty close to half of people getting married is divorced. So with those records, and those are just not religious records, those are just uh, records from sociologists and what have you, simply says that the family, American family as we know it, faces its most crucial days in the decades ahead of us. And the war against the family has not begun. The war against the family is in full swing. The basic family unit as we know it is under more attack than it's ever been in any society. Now, don't get me wrong, there has been attack on the family, it's the, the attack on the family and the disintegration of the family is what destroyed some of the greatest empires. But I mean it's under attack greater simply because it has better media. It has ways to reach the minds of individuals and the eyes of individuals, and it has ways to get into the life and heart of our young people. And while this is happening, we seem to I'm saying we because I'm talking about all the church world. We seem to set back and rest upon the laurels and merits of what we have in our life. And sometimes we don't recognize. I'm not saying this for us to uh, ease up on it, but sometimes we don't recognize the pressure that is placed upon a young person when he's out in this world. From the time he leaves his home, gets on the school bus, if he is, rides the school bus, gets into the, uh, the school, and the time he comes home, and then if he gets home sometimes, he or she, then there's a television, and all of this is blaring out things which would corrupt and pollute a mind. And nothing seems to be there to offset it. Now, we have the news media, we have literature, we have movies, we have education and sometimes even religious organizations that are in attack of the family. Family, they are attacking the family. Do you notice our popular television programs continually promoting anti-family concepts, uh, promoting abortion, promoting divorce and remarriage, adultery and sex without love and mate swapping, premarital sex, rebellion against authority, and I could go on and on and on with things that have appeared and yet seems to, like the church seems to be unaware of that. We have a playboy philosophy that seems to have invaded the rank and file of humanity. And uh, it swept America. Playboy is one of the best-selling. Now, this startled me. How long has it been that we have always said that our Bible is the best-selling book in America? Now, not everybody read the Bible, but up until 1982, it was the bestseller in the United States of America. But in 1982, Playboy magazine took over that role and that honor. 
and it still stands as the best-selling magazine, the best-selling book in the United States of America. Now couple that with a, with a country that is supposed to be a godly country. Now somebody said, and I forget who it was, that there was only two countries that didn't allow prayer in schools. That was Russia and the United States of America. Now I think these things are worthy of our consideration. I think these things are worthy of us looking at them. And if you'll notice, that's just one of the dozens of filth and smut magazines that present more than dirty pictures. Explicit sex scenes almost are everywhere, and these present a lifestyle and promotes a lifestyle that says, down with the family, we don't need it anymore. We don't need it like it is. Then we have a movement, the women got tired of being exploited, so they say, and so they formulate what they call a feminist revolution, and it's more th no more than counter-action uh, against the Playboy Society, it presents a society of its own. The very women that scream that they're being mistreated by male chauvinist pigs dress immodestly, live immorally, and teach the same thing to young children that know no better. And it's no wonder that we've got all of these things that's in the land. It seems to be not stopped at all. I picked up a paper some time ago and I cut this little uh, tidbit out. I used that when I was teaching on immodesty of dress and all of this in a church at Rosiclair and also in Mount Vernon. And uh, I've talked to parents and they seem to think it doesn't really matter how a little boy or girl dresses, that nobody pays any attention. Well, honey, I got news for you. Your little boy and your little girl grows up, and they're noticed as growing up a lot more by the opposite sex than they are by you. Mommy and Daddy likes to keep them little boys and girls, but they grow up, and as they grow up, a lot of things happen. Now, this is what this paper says. It's not a Christian paper. In fact, it's the Evansville Courier, and it's written in 9-3, 1983. And it said, teenage girls may think wearing tight jeans and no bra simply is the height of fashion. But adolescent guys think those clothes are a sexual come on, according to a California survey. The survey by four researchers at the University of California, Los Angeles, found that the boys read more sexual connotation into girls' behavior and dress than the girls intended or even realized. Both sexes agreed that see-through blouses on a girl probably was a come on, According to a survey, 14 to 8-year-old uh, published in October issue of Psychology Today. But the men were likely to interpret with women low-cut tops, shorts, tight jeans, no bras, deliberately enticing as well as a come on. A survey of 432 individuals indicated. And we're sitting in a society like that. We're living in a society like that that promotes these things, and we're living in a, in a Christian world that is content to allow these things to go on because somewhere, somehow, the devil has deluded us in thinking that some way we are above being touched by these things. There's but one thing, and I'm going to say it again, that can offset this thing, and that's the fervency and the desire to protect and raise our families and our children and voice an opposition against this that is happening. It presents quite a lifestyle, something that you and I ought to be very particular that we check out and find out. How many of us have ever been concerned enough about our libraries and books that are 
uh, place in our schools that uh, have to be read by children to make any complaint about that. We found that in our little town where they was moving in filth and uh, determined that children read them. They were forced literature for them to read. What else was we to do? We could sit back and we could say, oh, well, we'll try to teach them that this and this and this, but we could do that, and my children uh, and I and my wife had a good enough relationship that we could do that, but there's others that could not. There's others that had no home life. There's others that had no Bible teaching. There's others that had nobody to pray for them. And this was forced upon them. And they wondered all the time why all that was going on, why it was going on. And so we could sit quietly by or we could lift up a voice against it. And lift up a voice against it we did. And did you realize you can do a lot more than you think you can? Because a lot of times they just do it because nobody opposes it. But if they find that somebody is going to oppose it, that it's against morality, it's, it's, it's against decency, then they'll pull in their horns and uh, move these things off. And a lot of times we walk into our little markets and there's all type of books where little eyes can see them and nobody cares. I mean, they're left there a lot of times. But a town and individual families can get up in arms and take care of this thing protest, boycott, what have you. There was a place in, uh, was it Oklahoma, that they had the 7-Eleven stores and they would not listen to them. They had just declared that they would, they would keep them on there. Others took them off, or at least they took them off and then out of the way from the eyes of the young people, and they just would not. And so they got a movement up that boycotted their store and they still won't do it, but the latest report was that their sales was down 50%. God's people on the move. God's people concerned. A family unit desiring to preserve some moral decency in a Christian established United States of America where God sent us and placed us and give us a rest, thank God, and sent the power of the Holy Ghost within our midst and set our Constitution really right on the Bible. And mankind is trying to destroy it while the church world sleeps. I say that it's time for this sleeping giant, which is the church of God, to awaken, shake off the moss and the muck and mire from us and declare we still belong to God, that this country is still God's. We don't have to forfeit this country. We don't have to forfeit our town. We certainly don't have to forfeit our children. All you've got to do is just watch the movements. So read the, uh, notice the, the uh, magazines where you see that uh, family and motherhood and fatherhood and decency is all put down. And all at the same time, your afternoon soap, soap operas continue to spin their themes around sexual frustration and adultery and divorce and remarriage and failure and on and on and on. And you'd be surprised. I hope I don't make any enemies tonight. You'd be surprised how many Christian people with Christian ideals will spend their time before and watch that smut and say or do nothing about it. God help us to realize that this is not God, that there's other things that we can do. Can you imagine spending your time before God in prayer, those hours that people watch the television? And people actually get so involved in this. We've told a story in Hopkinsville where the minister, of course, never watched that, and he didn't know anything about it, and some lady requested prayer for the Ewing family. I mean, pray for the Ewing family. They're in such a mess. 
And he requested prayer for the Ewing family. And he did that three or four times. And finally somebody said, don't you know the Ewing family is on that movie Dallas? And that poor lady had gotten so involved and it become so real to her. Now she wasn't a screwball. She wasn't, she wasn't rolling with one oar. What I mean by that, she, she was right up there, but she had got so involved in that that she actually thought it was a reality. And she thought if we prayed, God should straighten out the family mess. Well, I thank God for that streak of decency anyway that was, that was set in her where she realized that maybe prayer could handle it. Maybe if we'd prayed enough, maybe we could have got them off the air. But it seems to be going real good. And we have homosexual revolutions, gay liberation movements that's coming out into the open and Satan's arsenal is attacked against the family, has become vocal in its demands, and uh, with a failure. Can I say this and hold it right right down and, and, uh, and realize that this is statistics that uh, won't lie and it's not church statistics either. The failure of male leadership has been responsible for 90%, producing 90% of the homosexuals that's in our land. Failure of male leadership, of males, of fathers recognizing. Now, if you notice the scripture I read, Elijah's ministry was to turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to the fathers. In other words, the father needs to become more than somebody that works all day, brings in the paycheck and carouses around and does what he wants to all night. There is a responsibility upon the role of a father in some way. If our country could recognize that, that we do have a responsibility. But it is being undermined. And uh, because of a dominant mother sometimes and a recessive father. I'm not saying that a woman ought to be a map that we walk on, but I am saying this, and I am saying it with the authority of God, God does have an order. God does have a way, and he tells the husbands to love their wives even as Christ loved the church. And if husbands could love their wives like that and treat them like that, they would just necessarily nestle into the arms of that man because they could trust him. Now, society, maybe we can blame them for that, but husbands, let me talk to the men a little while tonight. And if it's possible at all, you pass this on to some uh, of these other uh, hairy-legged individuals that have thought all they got to do is just be the boss. I mean, just do whatever they want to do and then come in and say, I'm the head of this house. Well, not according to the Bible, you're not. All right? You've got to be under God's commandments. You've got to love as God loved and be as God uh, ha has asked you to be. And these qualifications are yours before any qualifications comes upon the wife. And you need to realize that. There's far more to it than just going out and, and making a living, so to speak, and coming home and, and uh, spending a little bit for the paycheck and the rest of it do as you please. We've got to realize that. We're living in a day and hour in which the male role, may, the man has given his role up. You want to know why there's so much nervousness and tension and so many nervous breakdowns among females and among ladies? It's because they're having to assume the role that they haven't been made for. Amen, Brother Hoskoff. They're having to take on responsibility that God didn't intend for them to have. And it's only the grace of God. Well, somebody's got to do it. And I say, women, do it as long as you can at all. You do it. But I'm saying this to men, it's time 
that we must arise and realize we do have a responsibility. We play the dominant role in the physical, the natural, and the spiritual atmosphere of setting it in the home. If there's to be a prayer meeting, we should initiate the prayer meeting. If there's to be any teaching, we should initiate the teaching. And if there is to be anything, it should be initiated by the man. All right? But how many times have you noticed that it is the ladies that carry, for the most part, uh, counted around here and look and see how many ladies we got to the men, out to the house of God, lifting up and, and hearing and, and trying their best to, to do what they're supposed to do. While the men, where are they at? I'm not saying just here, but go to any church that you want to go to, and two-thirds anyway are predominantly women. When it ought to be the men there, that is their responsibility. The whole family should be there, but the male should be there. It is his responsibility to get this into the hands of his family. But society keeps playing down the problem. Emphasis is the same wherever you go, down with the family. Man is treated as a Dagwood-type individual, where Blondie's just got to take over the reins and do everything that's imaginable. The man doesn't have any sense. The woman's got all the sense. And man has allowed this to go on and played the dumb role and done the dumb things. And it's completely against the Bible in any way or any hour, especially in your hour and mine. We also have some very good technical advances as far as medicine is concerned. But always, they're always saying, don't ask any more questions. Legalization of abortion means there's more babies being aborted every day than they are being born. Friend, that's murder in any sense of the word. And yet it is allowed to be happening in what we call a Christian nation and a Christian country. Artificial insemination is becoming a common thing. Somebody said, what's wrong with that? Well, look at it this way. Children are produced from somebody else's reproductive organs or elements. And this produces a child that mother or father, neither one, has any part of at all. And it has been proven, and it has happened once or maybe twice in the state of California, that when this has happened, the mother can't claim it. She was a surrogate mother. And the father can't claim it because they got the seed from the sperm bank. And the state took the child and claimed it and took it away from the parents. See what I'm talking about? You say, well, that's far out. Maybe it is, but we have places that do have states that take the children whenever they get ready. So what are we producing here? What do we have here? It shatters the personal relationship of the family. These children have no real parents and could, and some of them have already become the uh, wards of the state. And then let's get on that again, declining male leadership and the faltering family. America's in trouble today because the home is in trouble. How many of you believe that? Now, the home is in trouble because men are failing to rise to their responsibility of leadership. Men have led the headlong rush to self-gratification. Now, a lot of us are guilty. A lot of us have been guilty. Let's place it that way. A lot of us may be guilty. Brother Gary, you're doing all right. You don't have anything to worry about. <laughs> You just keep your leadership role, brother. <laughs> you don't have anybody trying to take it away from you. 
But, I, you know, I'd like to say this. I, I wish I could have about 30,000 to say, Dads, you can't watch lewd TV programs. You can't laugh at dirty jokes. You can't yell at your wife and kids and abuse them. You can't read phonographic magazines. And you can't just do all of these things, come down and prop yourself up, no responsibility, and expect your children to respect your leadership. It simply will not happen. Men are the key to moral revolution in the United States of America. I want you to notice again here what Malachi has to say. For Elijah to turn the heart of the children to their fathers, heart of the fathers to their children. Men sometimes, now I'm talking about the generalization. There are some exceptions, there always is. So you just hang on to it. Don't believe I'm trying to do away with everything and say everything that happened in your life is in this case. I'm saying generally. But men have led women and children down the wrong way. It's been because there's been a lot of times no fatherly influence. And let me stop here long enough to say, saints, Let's realize that there's a lot of things in this world that's not wrong for children to do. I mean, we're not old-fashioned enough to say you can't do this or you can't do that. But I stopped a family in our little church in Rosie Claire, and I asked, I said, how come that your child can give me every statistics there is in baseball and basketball and tell me who is the greatest and who's the greatest star, and they don't even know the First Commandment? I'd like to know the answer to that question if we're supposed to be godly parents teaching children the right things. All right? Is that all right? Can I go on? Do you want me to quit now? I think we need to ask ourselves that question. Why? Because emphasis is placed upon that and not upon God. There's nothing wrong with sports. My son played sports. In fact, I encouraged him to play sports. It keeps that energy uh, spent that could be spent out here and get him in trouble. And uh, any time he would miss the house of God, I'm just telling you this for your benefit. You can just take it and throw it out or, or say it's, it's the ravings of, of an old man that don't know any better. But any time he would have to miss church for sports, and we allowed it because he was playing on the team, uh, he had a duty to them, but the minute he got in, we had a tape. And the boy sat down there and he listened to the church service. And he listened to the message. And the next morning then, because I was suffering with a heart condition uh, and wasn't able to work at the time, he and I would sit down and discuss the message. See what I'm talking about? Let's realize that Christ is important. Most important thing in any child's life. We've got an army of spiritually, we need an army of spiritually concerned men to lead us in the right way. The needs for husbands that will love their wives above all else. Husbands love your wife even as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. And then we need wives that would be submissive to that authority because the husband has proved himself a worthy candidate for this. You see, we have some proving to do. I'm going to say it again. You don't just walk in and say the Bible says I'm the head of the house and you can't do this. I've had some confrontations with husbands that said I'm the head of the house and you're not going to church tonight. And wives would come and say, well, what I do, he's the head of the house. I'm supposed to obey him. I said, that's not Bible. 
You're not supposed to be obedient to him until he is obedient to God and finds his place. And when he finds his place, then you're obedient to him. Whenever you have anything written to women, it always assumes that the man's role has been filled. It's always to the man first. And the Bible assumes that the man's role has been filled. And then there's orders to the woman to nestle in and have a meek and a quiet spirit. And we can get to that some other time. Doesn't mean what you think it does. That doesn't mean a, a floor mat that you walk on. Or somebody that's willy-nilly or mousy or don't ever say anything. Doesn't mean that at all. Has some connotation to it that we ought to recognize. But we need some Christian morality and convictions. And they can't be any real revival in the United States of America until there's a revival of Christian morals. Until some way or somehow we realize that this world is in quite a shape and sad as it might seem, it has wound and weaved its way until it sets right in the churches of the United States of America and sometimes plays vital roles and fills offices of individuals whose lives have never been changed by the power of the Holy Ghost. They're leading young people as well as old astray. We need a revival. We need a revival of morals. We need a revival of justice. We need a revival of order in the house of God as well as in the family. We need a revival of old-fashioned Holy Ghost conviction that would set us down and put us on our knees and say, God, right the wrong that's in my heart and right the wrong that's in my life and let me stand up and be counted by the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody said, oh, it'll, it'll empty your churches. It might empty your churches uh, of the driftwood and stuff that settle in. But, brother, once it's emptied out of the impurities, God will fill it with that which is pure and holy and manifest himself greater than he's ever had before. It's been a letdown on morals and an idea that we've got to let this down in order to keep our congregation, our people. Friend, that is the delusion of the ages. My God, the Word is still the same. Our God is still the same. The authority is still the same. And it needs to be ministered with heartfelt conviction and love. Hallelujah. Until it permeates the heart and motivates our minds and either drives us in or drives us out and make way for purity in the house of God and in the ways of God. God. In other words, some way, somehow, God sent us a right revival of old-fashioned convictions that makes us want to change the world. Hallelujah. Not changing us to meet the standards of the world, but changing the standards of the world to meet God's standards. God help us some way or somehow to recognize where we're at, what God wants. I prayed... I've asked God, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll really go where... That's not ashamed and not afraid to call sin, sin, and unrighteousness, unrighteousness, and challenge the heart of mankind, whether he wants to be challenged or not, and move him under conviction by the power of the Holy Ghost. And expose that which is rebellious and degenerate uh, and that which is impure. And expose that thing to the world so it can't come into the house of God and sit there unexposed and sit there while the world looks on and says so-and-so sits there as a good child of God and he's nothing but a hypocrite. Then let's rid the church of this thing or get them saved, one of the two. In other words, there needs to be a spirit of old-fashioned revival motivate our lives. And change things. 
I don't think God's changed. I think the same God that used to fill churches still can. And it's going to take the same old message that burns with fire and burned with fervency and burned with desire. It's going to take people that's decided to do more than come and occupy a church pew and go home and forget that they've ever been there. It's going to take people that stand out to place and alive in the Holy Ghost and desire some seeing souls saved regardless of whatever the cost might be. And that's revival. That's what God wants. That's what He's got to have. A burning fervency in the heart of individuals that will bring condemnation and condemnation and condition us for the great work of God that's upon us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can you worship Him tonight just a minute? Hallelujah. 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 There can never be, there can never be a revival without a revival of Christian morals. Somewhere, somehow, it's got to come. And somewhere, somehow, it's got to come from individuals that will lay the axe at the root of the tree and let the chips fall where they may. No minister, no pastor especially, that's worth his salt would want to hurt or harm anybody. Love constrains them. If you really have a pastor's heart, you'll do anything in this world to save hurts from people. But friend, people get hurt more by not laying the axe at the root of the tree than laying it there and letting them see our lives as it ought to be seen and desires to change the standards in which we live by. Hallelujah. We're living in a world that doesn't seem to care. We send our children out. We watch them come back in. We hear of this boy that's on dope. He blows his brains out and we say, that's too bad. We watched this little girl that sold herself into prostitution, and we hear by accounts of that, and we say, that's too bad. And we watch these individuals as they commit suicide. Teenage suicide is on the rise. It's astronomical. We look at that and say, well, that's too bad. It's sin in the world. The devil's loose. Well, we know that. We know there's sin in the world. We know that there was loose. But we ought to also ought to realize that the only thing that can stop him is a church of God on fire with the power of the Holy Ghost that's concerned about calling sin, sin, and unrighteousness, unrighteousness. You see, we've been so concerned about filling our pews that we haven't really been concerned about what we fill them with. I'm talking about Holy Ghost filled churches. I can point you to some of the larger ones and people that I know that I rub shoulders with every day have sold the gospel down the drain. It's become a social gospel. The church has become a social gathering place. And all they have the crowds. You can't hardly get in the parking lot. And when you get there, you can't hardly find a place to sit. That there's never nothing there to challenge their life and the way that it's lived. When a child is born... On the spirit, he's not born with the knowledge of the do's or don'ts. He don't know. All right? He don't know. Sure, there's probably something inside that stirs and says it's not right, but he don't know. Until he comes to the age of responsibility. And until that time, it's the church's place to nourish that child and to take care of it and to teach it right from wrong. What is the basics? What should they do or what shouldn't they do? We ought to have them to do this one thing. Would you want to be where you're at and doing what you're doing if Jesus was to come? 
Because we ought to live every day like he's coming the next five minutes. I don't know when he's coming, probably not in the next five minutes, but we ought to live our life like that. Today's churches are lowering their standards. They're doing this in a foolish attempt to accommodate the world and its philosophy. And this has weakened their stand on moral issues. That's why they can't speak out. Because if they do, they're talking to the majority of their church members. And should they lose them, they'd lose their livelihood. Oh, friend, listen. I'd rather face losing my livelihood here in this world than to lose it in the world to come. And I don't know about you or anybody else, but when I stand behind this sacred desk, to me this is not a piece of wood. To me this is not, not rug that I stand on. To me, this is not an elevated platform. To me, this is the calling of God, the most sacred thing that you can have, and the most sacred calling and the greatest responsibility that you can have. And it means more. It means more than tickling the ears of individuals. Jesus said something that we ought to realize. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He said that. Those are his words. And yet so often we stand up with our testimonies and say, I love the Lord, and have broken sometimes every commandment almost before we come into his house. When the church has nothing to say to the world, it's lost its unique purpose for being here. In other words, there's no reason for a church if it's lost justice, morality, understand against the worldly things. We are committed people. We ought to be with a mission to the world. When we attempt to be just like the world in our lifestyle, we are no longer a mission or have a mission. It needs to be a crusade for righteousness. How can it start? Bible-believing, God-honoring, right-living adults and young people who are more concerned about their spiritual conviction than they are their personal conveniences. That's what it takes. Time for today's Christian generation to stand up on major and moral issues and speak out against the sin that's eating away at the very foundation of our nation. How can we do this? I'll tell you one way. Forget about whether you're a Democrat or whether you're a Republican and look at the record of those individuals you're voting for and see what they stand for. Amen. Don't just go and vote because he's a Democrat and you've been a Democrat all your life. Or don't go, Joe, go vote because he's a Republican and you've been on one all your life. And all the time his issues are completely opposite to yours. Perhaps they're for abortion. Perhaps they're for a lot of these things. And, so on, and you're voting for him because you've been raised a Democrat or a Republican. Watch who they are. Check who they are. Don't just go and sign your name on a, or make an X mark because you're so-and-so and been raised that way. God will hold you accountable for that. The ideals of a free democracy can't survive in the midst of an immoral society. It can't do it. I'm going to close in just a moment. But while we can't change the world, by yourself. The best place in the world to start is your family. I'm not just talking about young people that's raising a family. I'm talking about you and I that have raised ours. 
and still have a place of intercessory prayer and still have advice. I've told my children as long as I'm their father, they'll get advice whether they like it or not. And my grandchildren the same way, they'll get advice. They don't have to take it now, but they're going to get it. They might feel like we're nosy grandparents, and sometimes they do, but they're going to get advice. I feel like that is still my responsibility. I brought them in this world. I launched them out in this world. And it's still my responsibility to see that their boat stays afloat. Amen. I still feel that way. I think we all ought to feel that way. Hope of America today is strong Christian families. We've got to let the changeless truths of the Scripture guide our family, church family, individual family, and that's God's formula for success of a total family. We are. We're continuing to live in a society that breaks down every moral law that the Bible ever established. Marriage, what does it mean? It's just a piece of paper. It's a moral law established by Almighty God. Freedom of sex, what does that matter? It's against the principles of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've got it covering your world. You notice it out in the world. You notice everything that is happening on your television. Play the family down. Very few good programs you can watch anymore. Some family-oriented programs. Very few. You watch your news media. Put Christianity down. You watch the success of everything that is anti-family. And it'll go. And then you watch religion. Not salvation, but you watch religion as it's taken in by this type of society. Christ to live by that. No wonder there's not revival in the land. No wonder people are not being saved. God doesn't have that much of a voice. He can't speak unless he has our ears to listen. And he uses us. Would you want to stand? I still say we can have revival. But I still say it has to come the way it always came. Dying out to flesh. Personally, I'm going to say this. A lot of the things that they did in the older days and the actions and things that they did may have not been necessary. A lot of the things that they put upon people that his term, terminology is bonded today might have been very well met. Friend, it got results. How can you argue with success? Why should we argue with success? Hallelujah. Could we just have some music this way? I'd like for us to think over. The Bible says, think on these things.